AviationPros.com is the portal website for AMT, airport business, and ground support worldwide magazines. Visit daily for breaking news, industry blogs, and insightful articles from our magazine's editorial team. And don't forget to sign up for our publication's daily e-newsletters. It's all at AviationPros.com. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Aviation Pros podcast series, Aviation and the Environment. In this episode, we speak with Stephen Barrett, Professor of Aeronautics and Astronautics at MIT, and Roy Gonzarski, CEO of Magniax. In the first half of the episode, Stephen describes the work he and his colleagues at MIT have done on post-combustion emission control systems for aircraft. In the second half, Roy details the benefits of electric aircraft, why we should be prioritizing them, and what can be done to advance them. But first, our interview with Stephen Barrett. Well, Stephen, thank you again for taking the time to chat with us today. Um, to kick off our conversation, can you start by giving our audience a little bit of your background and uh, the work you do? Sure. Well, well, I trained as um, an aerospace engineer, and um, I've always had a passion for the environment as well. So my kind of um, mission in life, I guess, is to try and figure out how we can both both have a, a growing aviation industry where more people around the world get to enjoy the benefits of uh, traveling around the world, economic opportunities, cultural and family connections, uh, yet at the same time, for us all to to be good stewards of our planet and ensure its uh, its uh, health for future generations. So um, that that's pretty much what I wanted to do, and, and found a way to do that in an academic job where I teach um, uh, environmental issues related to aviation and also uh, do research and uh, direct a lab at MIT called the Lab for Aviation and the Environment. So. That's, that's my day job. And our conversation today is revolving around the impacts aircraft have on air quality. So to kind of set the stage for that, um, just what are the impacts of uh, aircraft on air quality? Aircraft emit a bunch of different pollutants into the atmosphere. Um, these include sulfur, which comes from sulfur naturally in the fuel. Also, another key one is soot, um, which is when you don't burn the fuel completely. And the final one, probably the most important one, is called NOx or oxides of nitrogen, NOx for short, N-O-X. And that comes on account of the fact that you burn fuel in air. Air is mostly nitrogen. And some of that nitrogen uh, gets converted into NOx due to the high temperatures. Now, that NOx um, reacts in the atmosphere and has two main effects. The first one is that it creates ozone. And ozone is known to harm human health through respiratory illnesses and others. Um, and the second is that it uh, creates something called fine particulate matter. So the NOx gets emitted and eventually converts into small particles of particulate matter. And those have been associated with increased risk of early death and other adverse um, health conditions. So um, if you look at it over the whole world, it's been estimated that around 10 or 15,000 people die slightly early each year because of air pollution from aviation. Now, that might sound like a big number, and in some sense it is, but it's definitely much less than 1% of all the air pollution-related deaths globally. So 
you know, it's important for us to solve the issue, but just to keep it in context, it's not a big deal compared to power generation or uh, automobiles. Historically, what have been the challenges around addressing these issues? Historically, the focus has really been on trying to improve combustor designs to decrease NOx emissions. And engineers have got very creative over a long period of time to really quite dramatically improve NOx, NOx emissions, all else being equal. The problem is that, like is so often the case in life, all else isn't equal. And the challenge here is that um, as you want to make an engine more and more fuel efficient, one way to do that is to increase the engine's overall pressure ratio. So the the pressure in the combustor of newer engines is much higher than older engines. Now, as you raise the pressure, um, that tends to also increase NOx emissions. So while one group of engineers has been battling to improve the combustor designs to decrease NOx, the other group of engineers has been foiling all their efforts by increasing the overall pressure ratios of the engine. Such that on net, there's not been a lot of change in the average emissions uh, for the overall system level or, or aircraft engine level for some years now, just because these factors are to some extent uh, counterbalancing each other. So, so it's, it's, there's been a, a lot of progress, but it's hard to make more progress essentially because of that trade-off between NOx and CO2. And you and your, your colleagues have come up with this idea though of a, a post-combustion emission control system for, for aircraft. And um, as I understand it, this is kind of a, a new idea for the field. Um, can, you, can you describe what this is and how it works? Sure, well, well I mean, the, the reason it's a new idea is that if you thought of it 40 years ago, it would be crazy. And the reason is that um, the, the function of the uh, engine is in a sense to produce a pressure rise, which then you use to produce thrust or a sort of a flow. And um, if you put an emission control system on the back of an engine, it will cost you maybe 10% pressure drop to force the flow through the emissions control system. Now, if you think about the old gas turbine engines are actually turbojets, if you go back far enough, they tend to be relatively narrow diameter um, and all the air went through the core, which means the air went through the combustion chamber and had exhaust products. So if you were to put a post-combustion emissions control system on the back of that, you'd be taking all of the thrust and losing around 10% of it. So that's not a great idea. But now if you think about relatively modern engines, they've got a high bypass ratio of 10 or more, meaning that most of the air goes not through the core of the engine and through the combustor, but goes through the bypass. So it just goes through the, the big fan of the engine. And then you're thinking, well, if we had, hypothetically speaking, a post-combustion emission control system on it, we would only put that system on the core flow, the 10% the of the flow and roughly 10% of the thrust. So now we're talking about maybe a 10% pressure drop on 10% of the thrust. In other words, that a 1% loss. So in a sense, that's kind of uh, the, the notion, the idea that because we've moved towards high bypass ratios where most of the, uh, not much of the air goes through the core, you don't have to treat as much air now in post-combustion um, to get rid of the NOx. Now, this sort of idea came about because some years back I did some work related to the um, Volkswagen emission scandal. So I ended up learning a lot about selective catalytic reduction and emissions control systems and things like that and thought, well, maybe, maybe we can bring this into aviation. And the, the second thing that kind of happened at a similar time was that uh, the aerospace industry was starting to get into electrification. 
and in particular looking at um, turbo electric and battery electric aircraft. So when you sort of put those things together and think about, well, um, you've got emissions control systems, they're very well established in trucking, even in gas turbines on the ground power stations. And now we're looking to a future where maybe we go to a turbo electric architecture where, for example, you might have a gas turbine in the fuselage um, running a generator, which could then distribute power electrically to electric fans under the wings. Then you could see there's a sort of decoupling between the, the gas turbine and the propulsion systems. And if you do that, well, maybe it makes sense then to package in there a post-combustion emission control system and mostly eliminate the NOx emissions. And you just touched on it a little bit there, but what are the, what are the benefits of this system? If you look at trucking, um, it's possible to reduce around 95 to 99% of NOx emissions using a system like this. In the case of aviation, we find it's possible to do a similar thing. Um, so upwards of 95 to 99% reductions in the NOx emissions are possible depending on the precise design point you choose. So that's, that's pretty transformative. And if you look at the overall aviation and air pollution problem, and account for various other emissions too. It looks like that it's possible to remove about 90% or just a bit more of the total air pollution impacts of aviation. So we're talking about uh, the, the opportunity is a order of magnitude reduction in the air pollution impacts of aviation. And are there any drawbacks with the, the system? Um, and if so, how can they be overcome? Yeah, the, the biggest drawback I think is that um, the the airplane will weigh a bit more because you're going to have to carry the emissions control system. You're going to have to carry a kind of a ammoniated solution, uh, which is what the emissions control system needs needs to run. And if anyone has um, you know a, a diesel car or a diesel truck, you might be familiar with having to put in a substance that's sometimes called AdBlue, or there are other other names for it too. But it's essentially a urea and water solution which has ammonia in it and that's the thing that emissions control systems like the one we're talking about need to work so there'd be some small amounts of fluid to carry which is pretty negligible but then the emissions control system itself um, now all of that isn't a particularly big mass in the grand scheme of things but what we did in our studies at MIT was to try and estimate the effect that all of this stuff would have um, on the overall fuel burn of a of a aircraft so You've got a bit of extra weight in the ammoniated solution. You've got um, some tanks. You've got um, uh, you've got a catalyst monolith, which actually does the hard work. Um, then you've got some pressure being lost in the catalyst as you're forcing flow through the emissions control system. If you put all that together, we we estimate you might inc increase your fuel burn by about 0.6% relative to what it otherwise would have been. So 0.6% didn't. You know, it might not sound like a lot, but to an industry that operates extremely efficiently on tight margins, 0.6% can't be entirely neglected. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's not a totally negligible cost, but um, we think that kind of cost is worth it. First of all, it would dramatically reduce the air pollution impacts of aviation. And secondly, when you look at it from a carbon dioxide perspective, if you then switched as well to some kind of sustainable fuel that would reduce CO2 emissions, that could solve um, any associated increase in CO2. So is this then something that aircraft flying today could start being equipped with? I would say it's very unlikely and very hard to imagine how, because you would have to 
hanging emissions control system off the back of the uh, engine or nacelle, and it, it's very difficult to imagine that being that viable. So I think something like this is really um, looking to the future for future aircraft designs. And I think most likely it fits in with turboelectric architectures, which means where you have gas turbines, which power generators that then distribute electricity to electric fans, perhaps distributed electric propulsion. So one of the things that research has shown in the past perhaps 10 years on these turboelectric architectures is that they do improve propulsive efficiency by spreading out the propulsive effort over more, uh, more area, which is beneficial for efficiency. Um, but they come at a cost of increased weight of the aircraft. So those things, it's not quite clear which one wins out, but uh, um, it's not sort of a, a such a huge slam dunk for turboelectric that you definitely go ahead and do it. But if you package in the extra benefit of mostly eliminating the air pollution impacts of aviation, then a kind of very electrified architecture like turboelectric might begin to make sense. So that I think is probably the most, most likely case where, where you'd use this kind of approach. And alternative could be a, a direct mechanical approach where instead of having the gas turbines under the wings, the gas turbines might be, uh, say, in the fuselage near the back of the plane, and uh, there might be a mechanism to direct drive fans from the gas turbines uh, where the fans are exposed to the air, and at the same time put the effluent from the gas turbines through an emissions control system. And there have been some conceptual designs for aircraft over the past 10 or 15 years where adding on this sort of system would be conceivable. So then what does the, the future of the, the emissions control system look like and, and just eco-friendly aircraft in general? Well, in, in my view, I think um, some kind of emissions control system probably is necessary for a, a truly green future for, for aviation. But the reason is that uh, you know all the work that, that my group and many others have done over the past uh, 10 years or so on Battery electric aircraft just suggest that while we might get um, you know air taxis and maybe short range aircraft to fly with batteries in the foreseeable future, there doesn't seem to be a future we can see today uh, which has batteries powering aircraft that fly significant distances or or significant sizes. So you know the the, the transatlantic and the transcontinental flights won't be um, powered by batteries in the foreseeable future. So we need a future for all these flights, which are the flights that are most critical, um, that is sustainable. Now, there's basically three big sustainability challenges uh, for aviation in terms of the emissions. The first one is CO2. And CO2 um, can be tackled with a combination of efficiency improvements of the aircraft and engine, um, and then sustainable fuels that have lower life cycle carbon dioxide emissions. So, there's a plan there. Um, the second one is related to contrails, which are artificial clouds aircraft create, like uh, white line-shaped clouds that cause warming. And the, an approach to deal with that is contrail avoidance. And then the third, the third basic big impact is air pollution. And really until now, there's not really been a, a kind of a, a way to mostly eliminate those because progress in, in the uh, combustor improvements has been challenging, although there are some opportunities left. So, so what I, what we're proposing here is just a, a way to deal with that third impact, the, the air pollution impact, and potentially reduce it by around 90% over time. Um, I think the, the, the biggest drawback is, in, in this approach is 
really touches on one of your, your earlier questions, which is that there's no obvious way to retrofit existing aircraft. So um, it would only come in over the decades it takes for a new aircraft to enter service and gradually propagate through the fleet. So I think um, that says we should move as quickly as possible because it just takes time to uh, introduce technologies and for them to propagate through a fleet. Now we speak with Roy Gonzarski. Roy, to kick off our conversation, could you start by giving our audience just a little bit of background on yourself and your company's MagniX and Eviation? Sure. So my name is Roy Gonzarski. I'm the CEO of MagniX, the electric propulsion company, and I'm also the executive chairman of Eviation, the electric aircraft company. Uh, I'm originally from Israel myself, came here to the U.S. Uh, to get my graduate degree at the University of Washington, uh, and that was now 25 years ago. I became citizens in 2009. Uh, and we have been loving life uh, here in the United States. Uh, Magni X is doing electric propulsion for aircraft. Our focus is to allow aircraft designers and or retrofit companies to have a propulsion system uh, that fits all the requirements of an aircraft being lightweight, highly powerful, very redundant, very reliable, and of course, certifiable by the regulatory authorities. So we've been doing that now since 2009 with a focus on commercial aerospace since 2018, and we've been flying aircraft since December of 2019, uh, fully electric, uh, both in Canada and here in the United States. Eviation is an electric aircraft company. It's designing the Alice, a nine-passenger, all-electric, fly-by-wire composite aircraft. Uh, it'll be the first such aircraft uh, in the world, and it will be flying here its first flight later this year. Both companies are based in Washington State which is on the uh, northwest side of the United States. And our, our focus today is on kind of the, the benefits of electric aircraft for the environment. So can you just go through what some of those, those benefits are? Sure, there, there are two main trends uh, happening today in the world. If you look at kind of cultural shifts that are going on, one is environmental awareness, right? Whether we believe in global warming or man-made climate change, et cetera, or not, does it really matter? I think we all agree at this point that one, creating emissions is not a good thing for the environment, nor is it for our health. When you're standing behind some of these planes or cars and breathing in those fumes, that's not good for any of us. So environmental awareness is becoming a very big movement uh, globally. And in fact, consumers and people and probably your listeners are willing to now make decisions with their wallet on that. Uh, in Europe, for example, pre-COVID, definitely during COVID, but definitely pre-COVID, airlines were losing ticket sales to what's called flight shaming, basically the embarrassment on social media for flying on a gas-based aircraft. So things like that are happening more and more. The second cultural shift that's going on is the on-demand economy. Basically, we've all gotten used to as consumers to push a button on our phone or on a computer and have things happen at our request, be it an Uber or Lyft car that shows up where we want it, when we want it to pick us up and take us somewhere, be it a meal that, uh, that shows up from the restaurant of our choice when we want to have that dinner, be it a package that shows up at two hours from companies like Amazon. We've gotten used to this whole notion of on-demand economy, and we now want to expect that from our air transport as well. And so if you take those shifts, the only way that the aviation industry can in fact support those shifts 
and be behind those shifts is to go electric because electric aviation does two things. Just like electric cars, there are no emissions. So an electric motor produces no CO2, no NOx, no emissions whatsoever. And so when you're flying in an electric plane, you've now completely addressed the environmental awareness aspects of things. On the flip side, electric aviation, just like electric cars, is also much cheaper to operate per flight hour. There's no fuel. Electricity is significantly cheaper than Jet A or any other type of fuel for aviation. And also electric propulsion systems, electric motors, are so simple. Their sophistication is how simple they are is that maintenance and service is very small. I, for example, have had an electric car for three years and I've never been in for service. There are no oil changes, spark plug changes, timing built, uh, uh, et cetera. None of that exists in an electric motor. And so those costs, which today comprise of about 50% of an operating hour in an aircraft, are suddenly gone. And that addresses the on-demand. The reason we can't have on-demand in aviation is because it's so expensive to operate these aircraft. If the aircraft are now 50% plus minus cheaper per hour, suddenly you can offer on-demand aviation. And so electric aviation really addresses those two trends. So we'll touch that later, just how um, electric aircraft are advancing. But for, for the sake of the conversation, um, what does the future look like if we, if we don't invest more in electric aircraft and, and these eco-friendly aviation solutions? If we don't invest today and start making tremendous strides today on electric aviation, two things will happen. One, the existing aircraft will continue to spew out more and more emissions. In fact, while today global aviation provides about 4% plus minus, depending on what paper you read, about 4% of CO2 worldwide, it is expected that by 2050, that'll turn into 25% of global CO2 produced by airplanes. And so a tremendous, very negative growth from a perspective of CO2 of emissions. So that's one thing that will happen. But the other thing that will happen because of that is less and less flight availability. Even today, earlier in 2021, the government in France, for example, imposed a ban on short domestic flights within France unless they're electric. And so what you're seeing is governments taking proactive action to try and eliminate emissions. You're seeing things like that with cars in California, in Washington, mandating that a certain percentage of cars by a certain year, be it 2030, 2035, be all electric. And so what will happen is if the aviation industry doesn't address this issue, is we'll have more emissions and thus less and less flights, which of course reduces our ability to travel. So what then have been some of the recent advances in this electrification of aircraft? Well, aircraft uh, design is kind of like the chicken and egg question. And the chicken, by the way, comes first, no doubt. Uh, But basically, if you look at historically, aircraft are always designed around engines. The original power of flight was because they could, the Wright brothers could finally get a light enough, powerful enough engine to put on their glider and go fly. We today are living in the jet age of aviation, not because of the jet aircraft, but because the jet engine enabled new aircraft design, swept wing, being able to fly higher, faster, etc. And so propulsion always comes first, then aircraft design, and then everything else. And so the progress that's been made over the last three to four years in aviation and specifically in electric aviation is, first of all, the development of an electric propulsion system 
dedicated for aerospace. We, MagniX, are one of the companies that have been leading that. We now have uh, propulsion systems, all electric, that are good enough to fly aircraft anywhere between five passengers to 19 passengers in size. And so to that end, having these types of propulsion systems that are flight proven, as I mentioned, we've been flying now aircraft for over 18 months, having those types of propulsion systems now signals to both current aircraft manufacturers and future aircraft manufacturers that there's a new way and a new possibility to design aircraft more efficiently around electric propulsion. So now you're seeing more and more electric aircraft companies pop up because now they know there's an engine or an electric motor that they can use. And once that starts to take hold and we see more and more electric aircraft flying, the third element of either batteries or hydrogen fuel cells will itself increase as well because at that point, everyone will figure out this is real and the trends will continue. By the way, this is very similar to what's been happening with electric cars. When Tesla started about 10 years ago, they didn't start with a Tesla car. They in fact converted, retrofitted a Lotus Elise car uh, out of the UK and converted it to all electric using their new electric motor and some kind of off the shelf batteries. And when they saw that demand was that for that was strong and increasing, they then went to a dedicated car, the Tesla Model X, et cetera, uh, and now battery companies are starting to follow suit, including Tesla, focusing on batteries. And so that same type of trend will happen in aviation. And on the flip side of that, um, what are some of the challenges electric aircraft are currently facing? Well, there's, uh, I would say, two main challenges. And it's not so much that electric aviation are facing, but it's challenges that the electric aviation industry has to overcome and solve. One is batteries or energy storage. We've uh, solved the propulsion system, as I mentioned. We now have new and more efficient aircraft designs that are happening. So the third element is energy storage, be it batteries or hydrogen fuel cells. Today, the energy storage systems are not powerful enough and not efficient enough to allow us to do whatever we want in an aircraft. And that's where I put a caveat. It's whatever we want. But we do have enough batteries and hydrogen fuel cells today to do some niche flying flights of, let's say, a five to 12 passenger aircraft up to 200 miles, which is a retrofit, or up to 500 miles with a brand new aircraft design. So while we can't fly all over the world, we won't be flying LA to London or New York to Seattle anytime soon on an all-electric aircraft, doing small regional and sub-regional flights, which is something that happens half of the time in US flying, is something that definitely can start happening within the next few years given today's battery. But the more we solve the battery and hydrogen fuel cell challenge, the more payload and the more range we'll be able to do. Again, very similar to electric cars. When they started, you could get cars that could do 30, 50, maybe 80 miles in range. Today, my electric car, I can do 300 miles in range, the, the latest one I got. And so from that perspective, batteries are progressing more and more for cars and we on the aviation side can take advantage of that as well, which is fantastic. So that's one challenge. The second challenge is more of a psychological challenge. It's this notion of can electric planes do what gas planes can? And if they can't, then I probably don't want one. That type of question or thought process is very much an incumbent thought process. It's no different than you saw Ford, GM, Chevy, all saying to Tesla, what you're doing is impossible. And now 
eight years later, 10 years later, they're all scrambling to try and catch up with Tesla. We're seeing the exact same thing in aviation, comparing the electric plane in its infancy today to what a 777 can do for the last 10, 15 years. And that's not the comparison because no one in the electric aviation industry is even trying to say, we're going to fly Seattle to New York or LA to London. In fact, most companies will say, our flights are 100, 200, 300 miles in range. And that's really the fallacy of the objection is comparing it to the wrong thing. So those two challenges are main ones facing the industry today. And speaking of those, those psychological challenges, um, you know, what are some of the, the misconceptions of electric aircraft? You just touched on some, but what are some other ones that we should um, be dispelling? Yeah, one interesting one that, that I always find amusing is what happens if batteries run out in the air? What will the plane do? And the answer is exactly the same thing it will do if the plane runs out of fuel in the air. The fact that the energy source is now a battery or a hydrogen fuel cell as opposed to liquid fuel doesn't change the already well-established and written in law uh, uh, requirements, policies, and procedures that happen. Every aircraft today that flies is required to carry enough spare fuel for extra time in case something happens. And if even at that point they run out of fuel, they then glide to safety. The same thing will happen with electric, electric aircraft. There's going to be the same requirement on carrying spare battery or hydrogen fuel cells to allow for spare flight. And even at that point, if that runs out, you will glide to safety. And so the idea that people think that there's less uh, distance or less fuel is actually irrelevant because the law, uh, guided in this case by the FAA, requires you to carry spare. So that's one interesting thing, comment that always comes up. The second is, oh, well, my batteries catch fire in the plane, like on, uh, what was it, the Samsung Note 7, uh, or, or things like that, where people, Tesla car fires, etc. And again, the, the fallacy there is, is that if you were to, to bring an alien to Earth, and they would ask you, hey, how do you guys fly around this planet? And the answer was, well, we'd stick you into a tube filled with the most flammable liquid on Earth, and then we light that flammable fluid in order to create thrust. So that, that alien would turn around and run away. But that's exactly what we do today. But people are okay with getting on a plane with a lot of liquid flammable fuel on it because we have proven as an industry that it's safe. The same thing will be for batteries. No electric airplane will fly passengers or cargo before we have proven to the FAA and the regulatory authorities that it is as reliable and as safe, if not more so, than anything else flying around today. So from that perspective, that's also a question uh, that's put aside. And then the third and last question is that of range, where people ask, well, will you be able to fly an electric plane from LA to London, from Seattle to New York? And the answer is no, you won't be able to, and you probably won't be able to even think about that for the next 30 to 40 years. But again, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to fly small, short distances, LA to San Francisco, LA to Vegas, Seattle to Portland, uh, Boston to New York, routes that right now are occupied by very large, very gas-guzzling, very emission-creating aircraft. And we're saying, let's replace that with clean, low-cost electric planes. And we touched earlier on some of the recent advancements. Um, so if you had to, had to say, had to guess, you know, how far away are we from electric aircraft becoming more commonplace? Well, then the question is, what is commonplace? I would say we're going to start seeing passengers and cargoes being flown by electric planes 
by late 2023. We're going to see, these are going to be retrofit aircraft first. Then by 2024, we're going to see brand new by design electric airplanes starting to provide services. By 2030, and definitely 2035, I think this is going to be something that people don't turn their heads around anymore when they see an electric plane at the airport. Like today, 10 years after Tesla started, no one looks twice at a Tesla or electric car that drives by. No one finds a charger at a mall a strange sight. So that's now become commonplace. So I think it'll be the same thing. We'll start seeing aircraft flying 2023, 2024, and 10 years later, it'll start to become commonplace. So what then can be done today to help advance electric aircraft, um, bring them closer to, to this commonplace um, reality? Well, as a consumer, I would say two things. One, the next time you buy a ticket or fly, start to look at the emissions that are being created. Places like Google, like Expedia, et cetera, when you're buying tickets, you can start to rank them by the CO2 created. That type of consumer or flying pressure on the airline will make them think twice about, okay, how fast can I go to electric? How fast should I go to electric? Because it's the consumers who put the pressure on the airlines to make decisions. That's one thing that you can do is start making decisions and not purely based on emissions, right? We're not trying to change people's thought process, but add that into the thought process. If you have three flights that are plus minus equal in schedule and cost, pick the one that's the lowest emission. That will drive behavior of the airline. The second thing you can do is write a letter to your local congressman, representative, et cetera, and say, what are we as taxpayers what are you as politicians doing to encourage lower emission, lower cost aircraft? Are you providing incentives to the industry or to the airlines? Are you helping the airport set up charging stations? Are you creating a tax for CO2 emissions out of airplanes, just like there is out of cars? And so to that end, those are the two things I would say that consumers can do today to help us get to a better tomorrow. And speaking of incentives, um, on the governmental side of things, can they be offering more incentives, or what can they be doing to help to help electrify aircraft? There are a lot of things the government can be doing to help electrify aircraft. Uh, and basically, I would say, do the same thing that you're doing to help electrify cars. So governments today, the government's already providing a tax rebate for anyone buying an electric car, right? Today, it's $7,500 if you buy an electric car. So do the same thing for a plane. Take that same percentage of the cost of a car to the cost of the plane, offer it as a tax rebate for those buying electric planes. Carbon credits, today the automobile industry can trade carbon credits, those that create pollution making cars versus those that create clean cars can trade carbon credits on themselves, which will incentivize more and more electric. Do the same thing for planes, those that create gas guzzling emission creating planes versus those that create clean planes allow them to trade carbon credits. That's another thing they can do. Three, incentivize airports, for example, to put charging stations in. Incentivize operators to offer flights, maybe lower landing fees, maybe lower taxes, if they use cleaner airplanes. There's also something called the essential air service where US taxpayer dollars are used to subsidize airlines flying into smaller, more rural communities because with today's aircraft costs, Flying into those communities is not profitable. And unless we gave them those subsidies, then they wouldn't be flying. Well, why not add to that requirement some sort of emissions metric? 
So, for example, if you fly on a cleaner plane that creates less emissions, you will get more of those subsidies than someone that doesn't. So the government can make quite a few of those incentives. Now, I'm also going to propose that the government can do other elements like stick elements, right? If those were carrots, if the incentives are the carrots, there are also stick aspects that a government or policymakers can do. And we can take a cue from what's been done already in Europe. One, the U.S. government can require that all short-haul flights, pick a number, 100 miles, 200 miles, 300 miles, that short-haul flights, even interstate ones, by X date, 2040, 2030, 2050, it doesn't really matter, but put a, draw a line in the sand that says by X date, these flights all have to be either zero emission or can happen. That's one type of a, a stick policy that can put into place. The other is, if you're going to sell airplanes, X percentage of your airplane or solution must be electric or emission-free or trade those carbon credits again, back to the previous point. And so there are various things that could be done uh, in, in addition to taxing CO2 emissions from an aircraft that will also incentivize the industry to move forward. So you went through earlier and you laid out kind of the timeline of what the electrification of aircraft will look like in the industry. But, but say we put into place some of these incentives and different policies. Um, what could our future look like if we really, really put the focus on electrifying aircraft today? I think the future looks amazing if we electrify planes today. Uh, and imagine this. Imagine you want to go uh, uh, spend a weekend at a place that's two, three, four hundred miles away or you want to go visit your child at college that's, a, that's five hours drive away, or you want to go visit your family, or a doctor wants to go visit a patient in a rural environment. Imagine being able to go to an airport that's on average 16 minutes drive away from your home, being able to get on a plane and arrive there only 15 minutes ahead of time because for small airports, air, airplanes, you don't need long TSA lines or TSA services. The pilot does the security. So you arrive at the airport only 15 minutes ahead of your flight. You get on that flight, no emissions. There's less noise. You're not smelling or breathing any of those fumes. You fly to your destination. At your destination airport, you only spend five to 10 minutes there to get out of the airport and drive another 15 minutes to your destination. And you do that for $150, $150. Imagine that type of future and what it does to how we define commuting. Today with COVID, many companies are already saying, even post-COVID, you can continue working from home. And what's happening is we're seeing a de-gentrification of a, large, a lot of the major cities. People are moving out of downtown Seattle, downtown San Francisco, because now they don't have to be close to the office, so they can, in fact, live farther away, farther away at a lower cost area, higher uh, uh, air uh, cleanliness area, less congestion, uh, lower cost of living. So now they can get more for their money. And so if you can fly at low cost cleanly from that small regional airport next to your home into a major metropolitan area to go to work once a week or once every two weeks, imagine how that changes our lives. So that's what the future will look like with electric aircraft. Well, Roy, I think those are all the questions I had for you. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Uh, no, I mean, the only final thought is that this is real. Uh, as opposed to CGI graphics and videos and all sorts of dream uh, visions, 
I'm literally talking to you on the phone from Arlington, Washington. I'm at the site of the aviation aircraft, and I'm looking at the Alice aircraft being built, getting ready to fly later this year. I just came up this morning from Everett, where the Magni X facility is, and motors are running on test hills there for aircraft. And so this is all really happening. Uh, one of our partners, Harbor Air, has been flying the E-Beaver, an electrified five-passenger aircraft, for the past year and a half up in Vancouver. Uh, now, you know, in the first months that this was happening, we would see social media posts about, oh, look, the electric plane is flying, etc. Today in Vancouver, no one gets excited anymore when they see the E-Beaver flying overhead because now it's a commonplace thing to see. That's the type of future we're working for, and it's actually happening today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Aviation Pros podcast series, Aviation and the Environment. Be sure to tune into our next episode focusing on water, releasing September 17th.